Hello, this is Jay Khadija Abdurrahman, and you're listening to the We Be Imagining podcast. Thank you to Columbia University's The American Assembly, Insight Center, and Goat Institute for making this podcast possible. We Be Imagining is a public interest technology project rooted in the Black radical tradition and oriented towards abolition. We seek to build international scholarship and organizing, which entails engaging with people from a variety of political and social contexts. Today's episode is focusing on caste and the digital. You know, caste is a centuries-old oppression. It's a, a structure of oppression that basically determines the whole of your life, right? The family that you're born into determines your spiritual purity, the job that you have, and your caste. And that caste, it's a designation, you know, determines where you get married, where you live, and your proximity to structural violence and exclusion. And for those of us that are born at the bottom of that system, we were formerly known as untouchable, but untouchable is an epithet. Um, you know, we call ourselves Dalit as a point of political assertion, but we live in a caste apartheid of separate places of worship, separate parts of the area to live. And, um, and we are fighting continuously for dignity and human rights and for the end of this despicable system. The voice you just heard was Thamari Sandarajan, co-founder of Equality Labs, an Ambedkarite South Asian power building organization. We were unable to speak directly with Thamari for this episode. That clip is an excerpt from a Dalit Lives Matter Nepal broadcast titled Questioning Caste Digitally. Oppressed categories have received uh, varying degrees of attention in terms of uh, uh, their roles in, in contemporary politics and communication studies and technologies, but caste has received none. And I think this is very important. I think this podcast, if you can do, if you can do the, if you can tell the world that caste has not received any such um, 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 deserving attention, and especially given that caste is actually constitutive of and constituted by communicative elements, and that's the reason why we should pay more attention to caste as a protected category in digital cultures. That is Murali Shanmugavelin. Murali researches caste in media and communication studies in digital cultures. His PhD from the School of Oriental and African Studies, University of London, was focused on everyday communicative practices of caste. Murali is currently working on the remanifestation of caste and social hierarchies in digital cultures such as hate speech and platform economies. At Data and Society, Morali's work scrutinizes everyday casteism on the internet in order to develop actionable policy recommendations, build pedagogic content about caste and communications and technology studies. In December 2021, we sat down to discuss his report on caste hate speech and how caste is articulated on the internet. Caste hate speech, it's a it's very prevalent in today's conversation in public sp- sphere, especially in digital uh, digital spaces. Um, as I said, people actually said, you know, tweeted about, oh, if you want affirmative action, if you want priority in everything, why don't you have priority in COVID-19 and die now? One example that I actually found extremely moving and, and 
I really felt very, very bad. And it really upset me was, so this this guy who actually posted something on Facebook um, from, from Mumbai, and, and, and then it was followed, that this guy uh, uh, was followed up, uh, followed by one of his um, um, uh, childhood friends, but he's a dominant caste person, but he's lived somewhere else, okay? So he saw this note. So the first guy who actually posted this note, he was an Ambedkar, right? He was an anti-caste person. And the other guy was a dominant caste person. He didn't like the note. And he said, apparently, he had instructed this, um, um, the, the previous guy, who had an Ambedkar, anti-caste guy, um, don't post this kind of thing. I don't like it. And the, then obviously, the anti-caste Ambedkar fellow didn't listen to it. And this man, the dominant caste fellow, childhood friend, traveled hundreds of kilometers and went to see him and killed him. And he killed him. And this is, this is the extent of caste hate speech in digital spaces. You know, I mean, I just, I, when, I, when I just heard about that, I completely, I, I, it just numbed me. It was absolutely, it's barbaric. I mean, I mean, I mean, what can, how can you explain this phenomenon, right? So this is, this is the extent of it. So it can, so that's the extreme amount of caste hate speech in digital spaces. But on a daily basis, it is always, if you look at, for example, um, um, especially if you're a Dalit woman, you have to endure so much of, nonsense because you're Dalit, because you exist online. I wanted to learn more about the perspectives of Dalit women. So I spoke to Ria Singh, the founder of Dalit Women Fights. Yeah, so caste and gender, we see, you know, um, we cannot separate them or we, we pose it like um, two different entities. However, when it comes to Dalit women, uh, there's a triple discrimination that they have to go through. So women as an homogeneous category or, you know, when we try building sisterhood or these kind of allies uh, with other women, uh, there we encounter problems because we also see not only just men, there are also upper caste uh, uh, as well as white women who will be, you know, looking down upon Dalit women. So recently uh, on Twitter, we saw that a lot of um, these uh, feminist organizations in India um, their older tweets were mocking uh, one of the Dalit women uh, politicians who's been the single most uh, four-time chief minister of the state of Uttar Pradesh. Uh, so we also see that, you know, uh, there are women who are a part of actually bullying and also causing discrimination on Dalit women. So it becomes really tough that not only do we have to fight with um, patriarchy by upper caste men by dalit men but you also have to constantly be on our toes to fight and argue with these feminist groups and make spaces so it becomes like um, a very tough deal for us like it's, it's a lonely battle where we are also unable to find allies ria singh is a doctoral researcher and Women and Gender Studies at Center for Women Development Studies, Delhi, Dr. B.R. Ambedkar University, Delhi. She is a part of core leadership group in India's single and largest Dalit women-led collective, Dalit Women Fight. 
She works on the ground with the survivors of caste-based atrocities of Dalit communities in six states of northern India. See, if we talk about uh, the urban areas, people here are um, very keen to know that um, who you are, what caste group you are from. So uh, we see a group of upper caste progressive people who might be um, leftists, who, who might be feminists, who would say that, you know, there's no caste, there's nothing that's happening in India. However, I think I have also experienced from the, these very groups that they are so much interested in knowing that who you are, by who you are, they, they try to, they have their own mediums of inquiring. Like in India, by your surnames, by your last names, uh, you can sense or um, get an idea of somebody's caste because Dalits uh, were given their last names, which were usually their, uh, usually their caste names. So they were given the surname which would be associated to their caste so like for example for me my surname uh, is a surname which uh, is used by all caste groups you may say and usually the upper caste uh, groups uh, it, it was a very um, tactful thing that my grandfather did so he my grandfather had a um, surname which was directly uh, could be linked or be associated to a caste group so he named my father differently because he wanted him uh, you know not to be known by his caste when he moves out from the village for jobs <clears throat> so so does it happen to me that you know i was given the surname so people inquire that you know um what is saying what, what does your last name mean which which um, place are you from? All of these questions are basically asked to probe that are you an upper caste person or are you a lower caste person? So some in these urban um, middle class localities, people have these kind of curiosities. They, if you know, you will have a small argument, they will call you that, you know, mm, they, they'll have statements which are directed towards lower caste people and they'll use it for each other calling them with those statements making them feel like that you know um, are you like those people that you're fighting like this so they will come up with these kind of things in a 2020 washington post op-ed equality labs founder Marie sandarajan who we heard from earlier connects the dots between what ria describes in india and casteism with, reproduced within silicon valley all the elements of a hostile workplace exist for caste-oppressed Americans in Silicon Valley, which is often referred within these networks as Agram Valley, invoking the part of an Indian village in which Brahmins, or members of the dominant caste, reside. The cycle begins in quote-unquote premier Indian educational institutes, such as the Indian Institutes of Technology, where dominant castes make up the majority of professors and students, and where... As Professor Ajanta Sabramanian writes, successes are attributed solely to merit without acknowledgement of caste-based structural advantages. As a result, Dalit professors, students, and workers face systemic discrimination, bullying, and ostracization. Because much of Silicon Valley's tech talent is recruited from these institutions, our research has shown that those from dominant caste are able to use internal referrals, appraisals, and peer reviews to help create teams made up of their networks. Dalit employees have to evade detection of their caste and religion in this hostile environment. 
One engineer who works for a Silicon Valley tech company shared how a supervisor tried to defend the caste system during a meeting chat with a client. After the engineer spoke out that the system was a curse for caste-oppressed people, he says his performance appraisal was impacted and others in the company learned about his caste. You're about to hear Murali Shamugavelin again, describing how insidious and simple caste violence through non-consensual identification happened in the Cisco case. They simply actually pass this one guy passes this one crucial information. This is what I call articulation of caste, an outing of caste, caste outing in public places. And the moment he releases the word, he's a Dalit, the other guy gets it. Gets it mean quote unquote gets it. Oh, he's a Dalit, which means he should not be here. So the word that you 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 so you you say that that this guy is a Dalit, which is a factual information. So this is what they are arguing. The other side is arguing, oh, we just simply mentioned that he's a Dalit because he's a Dalit. No, that's not what happened. What happened was when you say Dalit, you you frigging transfer whole lot of um, um, information with that, the bias. And that's how the other guy got it. And then the other guy simply did not want to give him any work. And, and these line managers um, continue to ignore them, ignore this guy and everything and so on and so forth. So all I'm trying to say is that it, 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 it's, it's the way that how it works in cost and technology sector. It's not, you don't have to necessarily punish anybody. You can simply convey one simple fact. Murali is a Dalit. That's enough. That's a, that may be, that may, may not be a fact, but that's enough. And that fact can actually do a killing in one's career. I think this is something that uh, uh, this is something very important, and I think I think I think in, in the U.S. this is getting actually um, uh, uh, lots of uh, recognition that this sort of things should not happen. I think more than what happened in the U.K. and I feel that this is absolutely fantastic that is happening in the U.S. This sort of awareness. Listening to Morally, Ria, and Damari, you can hear the extent to which caste operates as a mode of social control. An unlike commonly held belief, its reach is not limited to India or South Asia. Casteism is a problem within the United States, UK, and broader EU as well. Why is caste both so prevalent and simultaneously banished from public discourse? This is a problem large in scope that needs structural remedies because the Cisco case is such a critical intervention historically because it marks the first time an American institution is suing any entity in America for caste discrimination. And because of that, okay. it would set a legal precedent, um, not just in the diaspora in the United States, but all around the world. Because it's a deep recognition that basically everywhere South Asians go, particularly dominant caste Indian Hindus, they take caste. Uh, Through Equality Labs, I understood the fight being waged within U.S. civic society and government institutions for caste to be recognized as a protected category. I began to wonder how we understand that civil rights quest in relationship to a growing anti-fascist movement that has its eyes on Modi's BJP and the global Hindutva movement it has mobilized. In September 2021, a cohort of interdisciplinary scholars in South Asian studies 
with the support of dozens of universities, including Stanford, Princeton, Harvard, UC Santa Cruz, and Emory, produced a multi-day conference dismantling global Hindutva. Perhaps the most important achievement of this conference is that it happened at all. From the moment it was announced, there were relentless and vicious attacks on organizers, panelists, and moderators. Orchestrated attacks on the universities whose departments, programs, and academic units co-sponsored the conference. But these universities and individuals held firm, insisting on upholding the principle of academic freedom and the rights of scholars to discuss urgent issues even in the face of constant threat. The rise of a supremacist ideology in India and its export and amplification through various diasporic networks is indeed an urgent issue. It merits sustained inquiry across scholarly disciplines. And we are so proud that we were able to engage in a critical academic inquiry of precisely this nature over the past three days. In doing so, we hope to have honored the resilience shown by so many activists and organizers from communities that have actively been targeted by the state and or by extremist organizations. We hope also to have established a crucial precedent for academia such that the critical academic study of Hindu nationalism or Hindutva will continue regardless of any attacks that may follow. Um, there are two kinds of positions to, uh, to, to, to oppose people like Modi. Um, there is there is a conventional position, which is like, you know, all these dominant caste liberals who like Nehru, Gandhi, Indira Gandhi, and who are all problematized. If you look from uh, Dalit movement's perspective, if you look from anti-caste intellectual perspective, but these guys, the, what these guys by which I, whom I mean, um, these dominant caste liberals, they are all very happy to be um, in, in solidarity with the conventional Congress um, non-BJP mode or including um, CPM, Marxist mode, Marxist parties alliances. The reason why they do is um, they are not entirely free from their shackles. They are against BJP because it's an aberration. It's 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 it because BJP and Modi is like like in their face and they can't they can't bear that, which is good, which is good. But what people like us have been talking about, the reason why BJP is here, it's because of people like Congress or people like Gandhi, people like Nehru. So you have to understand. There is a, um, uh, I don't want to be too academic here, but there is a, there is a whole lot of literature. If you come from anti-caste, academic, critical caste studies literature, there's a whole lot of literature about saying, for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, for example, if you look at Bharat Mada, that's a, that's the kind of a, uh, I don't know how much you know about Bharat Mada. Bharat Mada is a Indian mother. Okay. This Indian mother is, 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 is an icon during the independent movement. And if you look at Indian mother, this Bharat mother, she's extremely Sanskritized. She's she's extremely Hindu. She's extremely dominant. She's extremely up in a quote unquote upper caste or dominant caste woman. And everything she represents a, a, a casteist Hinduism. 
right? And this Bharat Mata was the poster, poster image during freedom, India freedom, Indian freedom movement, right? So all I'm trying to say is that and Bharat Mata image fits extremely well with the current BJP's Hindutva narrative. So you have to understand what's BJ, what BJP is doing right now. It's nothing just actually they pluck something out of air. No, it's a continuum of what's been happening in the last 100 years, 100 years. So you have two kinds of narratives. The dominant caste um, privileged narrative who actually feel very sad about what's going on with Nare under Narendra Modi's government, but all support uh, Nehru-Gandhi narratives. And there is another people like us, another group of people, who we, we reject all these narratives altogether because we actually say that the Congress narrative, the Indian National Congress or Indira Gandhi Congress, whatever you call it these days, the Congress narratives actually enable, has enabled BJP to be in power. So, so it's 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 a it's it's very it's very it's very sad. People and I've been talking to various um, uh, people. These uh, I've been talking to various like you know so-called uh, public intellectuals and so on and so forth. And everyone say, oh, I understand what you're saying, but our first immediate task is to remove BJP. And I'm saying no, you can't remove BJP because you the seed is coming from somewhere else. Um. See, Hindutva is right now at a very upfront level that we are seeing. What we are seeing presently is a very um, blunt, right in front of our eye thing. However, this is never missing. Like, for example, if we are to talk about Congress, Congress, in during their time, there was equally Hindutva present. Hindutva has never left a... Um, there is no like sudden rise to Hindutva in India. If we are to talk about like in context of caste, even the 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 left governments who think of uh, think themselves to be atheist and um, you know non-religious, the, the the caste factor has still remained same. The hatred has remained same. The hatred that entrenched hatred hatred that you know these people have against caste may have like i think it's easy it's it's much good phase for us right now because we are able to see it so clearly the hate is coming right on our face and we are able to sense it and also prepare ourselves however it was in a very disguised or a very milder form earlier so people are aligning across world because they have a common purpose it is termed as fighting against fascism but the people who are fighting against fascism are not committed to fight against casteism. That's that's the, the basic line where we draw is this. That there are so many people who wants to who want to fight against the fascist forces. But nobody wants to talk about that how, despite their fighting and arguing for the fascist forces, that they're parallelly you know, reinforcing and strengthening the caste structures. So I don't think it actually gives, you know, there's any uh, difference that will be done even if 
you know globally people are challenging fascist groups i don't think it can do anything uh, beneficial to dalits dalits have to be thought they have to be in a mainstream they have to be streamlined they have to be targeted thought of that you know what has to be done for dalit people by the dom- you know dominant caste people white people everybody who has power what are these people going to do for dalits so that we are not in a state that we are in at the moment i want to pay attention to liberal bigots i think this is something that not many people are paying enough attention to liberal bigots it's like you know you actually say something that's because it actually makes you feel comforting so you say certain things but actually you don't follow and you are the foot soldier of bjp in other sense we have to identify who are the foot soldiers of this hindutva bigots so when you say dismantling hindutva the conference you know that happened a few some few weeks ago and they seem to actually come across with this like a lovely very good idea but then what is that they are actually espousing what is that they are actually saying are they actually against hindutva are they actually um, in, in forming soft hindutva in my view they were informing soft hindutva so you have to pay attention to those sort of uh, players who legitimize perpetuate normalize hindutva the hardcore hindutva in their own platforms and that's what i'm really really worried about and it is not just exclusive to hindutva it is exclusive to all sorts of um, um uh, a fascist principle across the world wherein the softness is actually the real danger to the bigoted expression in the continuum of casteist violence sexual assault and rape is an all too common instantiation for dalit women ria ria shared how this manifests in her everyday work we also went back and forth on whether state recognition is perceived as a mode of justice for dalit women or police abolition uh whenever a dalit woman is raped uh all the politicians and the feminist groups will come up in arms <clears throat> saying that you know <clears throat> a rape should be seen as a rape and this caste angle shouldn't be brought in, into it however they completely fail to understand that um a dalit woman is raped and there is a caste angle to it and we shouldn't just be dismissing that fact that you know there are factors like marginality there are factors like access there is factors like you know um these women being uh, under them for employment or um some source source of common resource in a locality where they live and that makes them even more vulnerable to uh, become the victims of uh, these kind of crimes so this is largely what i can say that you know this is the relationship between caste and gender that we should really think about what is for How are you thinking through the relationship between access to justice for women and the limitations of the law? Because I imagine on one hand, it's a big deal to say, you know, that women have rights and through these rights, we are going to advocate not just for the experience of sexual assault, but in the context in which caste is a factor. But how also is the law limiting or helpful in addressing these situations? because my speculation is that the law is also encoded with the subjugation of dalit women 
yeah so i think see um having a stricter law will have its own um pros and cons um dealing with state in itself becomes um a very dicey situation in a case where um the representatives of um the various uh, actors who are at state level uh, are all upper caste people who belong to the oppressor caste like for example in a police station uh the police uh, official who has to write a complaint actually belongs to an um, oppressor caste um if we talk about the judges they are from the upper caste uh, caste groups who are a part of um, oppressing or, or committing crimes on dalit women so overall it's it's like um we are demanding justice from people uh, whose community themselves are uh, committing crimes on us however i see that you know this is the only option that we have so one is that we bring in more and more uh, representatives that are from our communities that is possible through affirmative actions parallelly because this is going to take time this this can't happen overnight parallelly we also try that whatever mechanism is already present we at least access that so that access doesn't come very easily from step 1 till the end that there, there is a constant fight and struggle to get you know things done so for example going to a police station the cop is more comfortable in registering a rape complaint but would resist if we are to say that you know it is a rape of a dalit women so you please um implicate the accused people or in the first information report you please use the uh, uh legal sections of uh, the prevention of atrocities act which is a special um, legislation for uh, uh, preventing atrocities on dalit people because the uh, punishments are very stricter so the cops also do not want to implicate those sections so, so it's it's one step where we have to fight then getting the lawyers then seeing whether they are arguing in our favor or somebody else's favor to medical um examinations there are all upper caste people who are sitting and doing medical examinations on our uh, women they we have to you know also get twice thrice change the medical officer and what not so it's like there is a mechanism which is the only option for us present right now and we are navigating through it and i'll only say that you know um like people constantly ask that what have we achieved through it i'll not say that you know can the rate of conviction is still very low like a, a very um, less amount of people get convicted in these crimes however what we have experienced in past 10 years is the registration of these crimes the cases that get registered in the police uh, data are getting higher and higher so i think that you know i would i would actually see that you know how the law is working or uh, we are able to make a move by the registration of cases instead of going on the conviction uh also we see that you know uh the state of uttar pradesh where we had the dalit women chief minister for four four consecutive years uh in her uh, tenure the conviction rate has also increased significantly increased so this is also there that you know if we have our representatives at various higher levels and authorities there can be a possibility of um, having better accessibility and uh, 
achieving justice from these legal systems. Thank you. One of the questions that comes to mind within the U.S. context is Black women organizers like Andrea Ritchie, Mariam Kaba, who have been thinking a lot about gendered forms of incarceration and working with women sexual survivors who have pushed for an abolition of the police and thinking through what are different relationships we can have to the state in order to support survivors. And I'm just wondering, you know, what, what you personally think about police abolition. How does that or does that not make sense um, or is a factor within the Dalit women's movement? Uh, there are groups and I'm aware of uh, this uh, defunding police and abolishing police. However, I think like in an Indian context, uh, it is only the state that offers protection uh, to Dalits. It is only the state that can actually. It's, it's not that the state offers, but in a scenario where you're living, everybody is hostile towards you in a locality where you live, who do you seek your protection from? And then eventually, it is the state from whom we are seeking protection. And somehow we have also seen that, you know, the affirmative, this um, special law that we have also has uh, sections for police, also have um, conditions on the government officials when they are dealing with cases of atrocities. So the legislation which is right now in place has procedures which somehow people who are aware of it, who can access, you know, law, legal language is also very technical. Not everybody actually has a sense of um, how to make use of this law. But I think in a present context where we are at the moment, we are scattered. Our population does not live like we do not have like a lot of people or group of uh, Dalit people living together in one locality. In a scenario like that, I don't think abolishing police can actually help us. Police a lot of times works against us. However, they are the only authority that can guard us. We can demand the state to actually put them at work for guarding us. So I don't think that Dalit groups can at right now at present time can think of abolishing police. We really need police and we are at a time, I think also like um, the Western countries uh, are running a little ahead of us. Uh, we are at a stage like I think this is, this is sort of a process that we are into. So we are right now at a stage where we are barely able to hold the authorities accountable for something. So dismissing or abolishing the authority, maybe down the line, some years later, we might see the other groups demanding that. However, not at the present moment. How do we take this knowledge of how caste manifests in the everyday life of people and then consider what it means, not just within the labor sector, which produces the digital, but on the internet itself, particularly social media? While acknowledging that this is very important, while acknowledging that uh, uh, Internet has actually opened up lots and lots of spaces for Dalits, Muslims, Adivasis, Natives and others to talk about their views and perspectives. It's very true. 
for example, um, if you look at if you talk about lynching that's happening, you know, you know, it's these are uh, Hindutva people um, lynching Dalits and Muslims and Adivasis for actually eating um, beef or whatever. This this particular message wouldn't have gone uh, viral but for the internet. So I do agree that the internet is playing a very good role in terms of empowering these uh, you know Dalits' voices. Absolutely fine. At the same time, it's not enough. It is also actually putting huge amount of uh, distress on Dalits, Adivasis, and Muslims, other people. And I think that one of the things that we should pay attention to is that uh, um, tech companies are not very sensitive, cost sensitive. I'll give you an example. Um, if you look at the um, um, the blue tick in Twitter, it 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 requires. Um, a certain kind of a, a, you have to fulfill certain requirements. One of the one of some of these requirements is all about authenticity. Authenticity means you have to put your own picture, you have to give your own name, you have to give your 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 actual website and everything. These are all fine if someone is privileged, someone's position is actually very good. But many Dalit activists that I've spoken to, they said they were not comfortable in revealing their identity. Partly because once they revealed, they will be targeted and hounded. And they said, we are very happy to share these details in private with tech corporations, but not in public. So these tech corporations have these universal principles that they think that's actually absolutely fine to all parts of people in the world. But it's not actually good for people like us, like Dalit activists and, and, and anti-cost activists. Ah, well, sh- social media is actually... A replication of uh, the physical world that we live in. I I hardly see like you know it just only thing is that you're not like physically attacked on social media at that particular time. There is a possibility of physical attack as well. However, I see replication of everything that happens on ground at social media, from physical abuse to slut shaming to calling caste names to you know following to rape threats everything happens on social media and coming back to the same point that i made earlier upper caste women are playing equal and active role in doing this against the community not only like people say that some people are not political enough they're not awakened enough they don't know but i have also seen and there are evidences there have been public outrage Feminism in India, one of the portals and like most visited uh, websites uh, for, you know, seeing that what's happening with feminism in India, uh, their director had also uh, mocked the Dalit chief minister. So social media, what it does to us is it also adds on another space where we have to go and register register our resistance we have to fight for our rights we have to you know educate people that saying this is not right saying that is not right this uh, qualifies to be a crime this qualifies to be a hate speech so it's another domain that's out there and sort of like an extra work that we are put into we do it it's a form of harassment that we go through that you know Certain things are given, not only given by like the thoughts and thinking, but some things are given by constitution, some things are given 
by law people still want to argue people are there who are running hate campaigns against affirmative actions now people like us the first generation learners who are actually using uh, digital media and these spaces it becomes so burdening and also like it becomes a responsibility for us to not let these groups operate we have to like constantly have a presence despite we feel triggered despite we feel mentally like totally exhausted but we don't have a choice like a lot of progressive people have choices to choose their politics and battles i don't think dalit people and dalit women have choices that we can choose or you know oh i would want to do this politics you know i would want to choose this ideology i like right wing i like left wing we never had this choice we are there on social media we get up and we see something or the other happening which is against the community it is something that is against you know our collective identity which is attacking our collective identity and we have to constantly be aware of it and keep a watch so like with twitter i think we i was a part of a consultation where they said that you know they will try to filter um cast slurs and eventually what twitter did was at the end of the meeting they told us that can we create a list for them and i was agitated i was like you called us for a consultation and then you want us to make a list for you when we report it you know when somebody is reporting that it's it's against our community standards it is an abuse it's a caste abuse twitter should just accept it because you know from india is a big country from top to bottom we have several languages curating a list was a tough tough job and it's a tedious job and we couldn't do it so it's like even if there are people who want to you know actually do something about it they will put us on some some labor okay so social media um, replicates things people who are stakeholders of these spaces they also give us some extra labor to do um there is no support that comes from anywhere we see uh, like we do advocacy we are attacked for our work there not only just attacked we are also like um, we are also supported i'll say uh but it is also about the audience like for example people who follow me are mostly dalit people there would be like you know the sort of filtration has happened there would be one or two some person who will come to attack there are um spaces or there are moments there are moments when dalit people like presently in past um 4 or 5 years dalit people have used social media so effectively we have actually used it for i call it agitation i shouldn't call it agitation but registering a complaint holding somebody accountable like for example the case of gang rape in hathras did not the government did not pay attention to it until there was a massive outrage by dalit people on twitter it is twitter that made government gear up police gear up to actually give some sort of you know heed to what has happened answer to the questions also the uh there was a protest after um there was an amendment in the special legislation prevention of atrocities act there was massive uh, 
agitation on ground happening and on twitter there was a parallel um, campaigns or you know sort of twitter storms were happening and both of them collectively actually built it a pressure on the government so we are also able to use social media platforms uh, with gro- our growing numbers on it like i still think that we are not enough but we are decently decently small active group of dalit people are there on social media and we are able to use it for our you know um, entitlements to some extent second we also pay the price of it if we are doing this are if we are present on social media we are also getting abused we are also getting discriminated we are getting all kind of casteist slurs and threats on social media so that's the scenario at the moment this is part 1 of a two part series on caste and the digital thank you to our guest ria singh founder of dalit women fight Morali Shamugavelin at Data and Society. Special shout out to Thamari and the Holy Quality Labs team. Please check out the substantial show notes which include most of the external resources mentioned by any of our guests. This is both for fact checking purposes and as a curricular resources for any educators who want to use the podcast in their classroom. Please hit us up at webeimagining@gmail.com. That's webeimagining@gmail.com. If you have a story you would like to tell at the intersection of caste and the digital. Thank you again to Columbia University's the American Assembly and Insight Center, the Goethe Institute for their generous support which made this episode possible. That's all folks. Like, subscribe. Bye.